sit down. Sometimes you wonder who the people are talking about. Certainly I do. In the, in the worship, there were two things God spoke to me for people here. Um, uh, I don't know who they're for, which is annoying, although uh, the first one I know is for a particular group of people. Um, uh, God spoke very clearly to me and said, for people who are over 60, God is saying, go again. Go again. Go again. Uh, felt like God said that um, there are some people who feel like it, it, that they've spent themselves and it's been enough and, and, and God wants to challenge you to go again. He has more for you uh, than you realize. And whilst that may be challenging, I understand the challenge of it. The fact of the matter is, in the stretch of the faith, you're going to find God take you to a different level and a different ability. You're going to find yourself in places that you hadn't particularly thought you would go to and make impact in, but God wants you to go again because as you do that, what's going to happen is that there's going to be an increased influence uh, in people's lives, particularly generations below you. As you go again, as you inspire those who are younger in generations below you, they're going to look and go, whoa, what am I doing? And you have a, a capacity to lead that others don't have. Uh, so find the place where you are to go again. I, I, I know, I, I, I've just, I know this, that, that God has challenged numbers of you with things and you've gone, really? Like, huh? And you need just to go, okay, God, I, I know I know your voice, and I need to go again. I don't know who that is, excepting that they are predominantly people over the age of 60. Um, I have no idea of the demographics of the congregation, so I don't know how many that may even be relevant to, but I really sense that sense of going again. Um, the other thing I felt like the Lord just uh, remind me of and I, I heard this as a concept only just uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, is the frame of the law of sowing and reaping, a, a, a scriptural um, law, if you will, principle of uh, God's Word um, that's really crucial. And uh, the fellow I was speaking to, he, he said, so many people understand the law of sowing, but never or rarely practice the law of reaping. And while we were in... In worship, God just said, there are people here who need to study the law of reaping. Okay? There are numbers of people here who have and are brilliant at the law of sowing. But you also have to understand the law and the principle of reaping. Uh, it's, it's not good enough to have one without the other. Because one will end up tiring you out. If you spend your time in sowing, it's strange that because reaping actually takes a reasonable amount of effort, but when you reap the harvest in, you have what you've got so that you can go to the next harvest. If you do a lot of sowing without a lot of reaping, guess what? The sowing diminishes over time. But if you 
practice the law of sowing and practice the law of reaping, recognizing that uh, I have a veggie patch. Uh, I will get to preach sometime this morning. But anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll do this for a moment. Um, I have a veggie patch, and when I throw seed in the soil, I get more than, right? One, like, like if you put in a single seed, you end up with a whole lot of tomatoes. I love my tomatoes. I just, you know, there's just a small amount of Italian in me. I love my tomatoes, you know? Uh, and and I, I love doing that kind of thing. So when you understand the law of sowing and reaping, what ends up happening is that you end up with an increasing amount for blessing to occur. Uh, for some people here this morning, uh, you've, you've mastered the law of sowing. Now you need to study the law of reaping and apply yourself to it. Apply yourself to it. <coughs> well... Uh, Pastor Nate was very, very um, uh, gracious in, in his introduction for myself and Sue. And we um, certainly uh, uh, feel very privileged to be here two weeks in a row. Um, Keith and Janet are very good friends and uh, they love you guys incredibly and uh, I know you love them incredibly. And uh, I just uh, I commend them to you and for your prayers on a regular, daily basis that you should be praying for your leaders. And uh, we all need it in church leadership. We are frail people just like you, uh, but we need the covering of Christ so that we can do what we've got to do, just as you do. And I know that Keith and Janet are praying for you daily, so return the favor, okay? Because they, they're sowing those, Prayers, they need to reap those prayers too. And that's a, that's a good thing. But uh, you have the most excellent of pastors who've done an amazing job up here in Newcastle over many, many, many years. And uh, uh, they really are just the best of people and great, great friends. And uh, it is a privilege for Sue and I to be here two weeks in a row. We don't get that privilege. We've never had that privilege before. So this is a first and we're really glad we're here two weeks in a row. And you've got such a good church. And I, I <coughs> come on, if you're going to clap yourselves, clap yourselves. Now, for some of you, you're going, oh, I never clap myself. I feel really weird doing that. I get that because I'm exactly like you, but I've had to learn I need to do those kinds of things because God's the one who's at work in you. It's not just all about you. And isn't it, isn't it good that it's not all about you? I might also add that the Northwest campus would be at least as excellent as you guys, I'm sure. <clears throat> and uh, and they, they have the privilege of me being with them for two weeks in a row as well. So uh, thank you very much, uh, the campus over there in the Northwest, because um, that's just remarkable to me. Um, this is the first time I've ever done anything like this, and so this is really kind of fun and weird all in one. Uh, as uh, Pastor Nate said, last weekend we started a, a series here at Victory and in the Northwest Campus around the whole frame of overflow. Um, and I, uh, it, it is a concept for me that, that, that God has been building over a period of time for me to understand uh, that nature of God's, uh, God's nature toward me. 
I, I am a conservative person. I'm not one of these people who, who is amazingly extravagant. I'm an introvert by nature. Um, but we, when I turned 50, which is a number of years ago now, um, Sue, who's an extrovert, filled the backyard with a party full of people, and I was caught in the kitchen in that party four, five, or six times because I don't know, it's like so many people, and oh no, I'll go off to the kitchen because it's safe and there's only one or two people in there, and I can have a conversation with one person, and I'm a happy, happy, happy man. Sue, who is the extrovert for us, um, said she, I was ushered out of the kitchen. Seriously, it must have been almost six times. I, I don't, it may have been more than that. I was, and, and come on, engage all the people who you've invited for your party. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, I, I, that's, that's not me. So what I did is uh, we've got a, a mate who owns a farm on the other side of the Blue Mountains. And um, uh, I cooked a dinner party and put all the wine on and did everything for it for our closest friends and uh, they had to fit around one table because that's the kind of deal, that's, that's who I am. So this notion of overflow where there's more than enough in what God wants for me has been a really significant challenge to my world. You need to understand that. I, I, like, you know, the Word of God, is, it, we're told, is a two-edged sword. What that means for preachers is it cuts them first. Okay, so you know you should not pity any person who gets up here to preach, but you should pray for them, because because if they're doing what God has asked them to do when they're preaching, they've already been cut by His word in the matter. Okay, and I have to tell you, I have I've had to I've had to submit to God in this notion of overflow and allow Him to do the overflow thing in my life. I I don't like, but I agree with. You'll find that that's not uncommon around God's Word, because I'm talking about God's Word here, uh, that first statement in Psalm 23, which is the text for this particular series. I, I, I don't like, but I agree with, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. I don't like it, because it's like, well, uh, you know, I, like I, th that means that there's an overflow happening in my life, and I have experienced that and I, I, I don't like it because it's like, well, I, I like things contained and controlled and organized. And I, I'm an engineer. I like things like tight and managed and strategized and planned and, and everything sorted. That's who I am. So when I have, have had to come to this notion of overflow, I've actually had to expand my heart and understand the way of God quite differently from the way I was brought up. Uh, the church I grew up in was a Presbyterian and then Uniting Church, and, and there was enough Scottish heritage in our particular Presbyterian and then Uniting Church for it to be austere, let me assure you. We had the guys walk down, you know, the, the elders and all the rest of it, walk down at the beginning of every service, take their row of chairs up here on the stage and sit there. And if they ever cracked a smile, I tell you, they were off. That, did, that didn't work. They, could, they weren't allowed to. I'm sure they were given instructions that smiling was not allowed in church because I never once saw one of them smile. It's pretty scary when you're a three-year-old, a five-year-old, a seven-year-old, a nine-year-old kid. You know, it, it was like very tight and controlled and all those kinds of things. And, and so when, when God has had to teach me about this notion of overflow, I, I, I've actually had to, I've had to come to that place of repentance. That's that change of heart and mind to follow the way of God. And all of us need that. In fact, 
Jesus kept saying it, repent and believe, repent and believe. I know some people who grew up with thinking that God was stingy, because I was one of them. I, I, I know at least one of them in the room this morning, because it's me, okay? I, I, I thought God was stingy. I thought we had to offer Him everything, and, you know, to, to the point of poverty, and, and that that was the right and righteous thing to do. It is absolutely correct. Your life is not your own. Offer Him absolutely everything. But let me assure you, it will not take you to poverty. Because God's overflow will be remarkable to you. And when you allow that overflow to happen in your life, you're going to find yourself in a different place. Psalm 23 uh, is the text that uh, we're working with over these weeks on this notion of overflow. We read it and it, and it says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides my, me along the right paths for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, when you take the time to meditate on that particular psalm, and Nate will get there in, what, about two weeks' time, because you're at chapter 7 of the psalm, so you've got, you, you're almost there, mate. It's like, you know, just under two weeks, you'll be there. It'll be good. It'll take you a long time in that psalm. I, you know, I, I pity him when he gets to Psalm 119. So, <laughs> that's going to take a year for the poor guy. I mean, you know. Anyway, but, but, once you, but Psalm 23 Psalm 23 is this amazingly rich and beautiful psalm which describes God's heart toward us. When we allow that to fill us, we really are so much the richer for it. And we talked about that somewhat last week. And uh, I, I encourage you, get the, the podcast, the download of that if you weren't here and listen to it. Not because I'm eloquent, but because I know that God was speaking last weekend. But what I do know is that that sense of overflow to us is not meant to be contained by us. That, that is a disastrous frame. What ends up happening if we, if we allow God's overflow just to flow to us and not through us, it becomes stagnant within us. And that which was meant for blessing becomes cursed to us. And you know what? There are some people who have had such a mindset inbuilt into their worlds that they go, but anything that comes my way, I better keep because what if it doesn't come next time? What if it doesn't come next week or the next day or whatever? Well, let me help you. You need to understand this issue of sowing and reaping because, because when you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly, the scripture says. But if you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. Paul writes to us in 2 Corinthians. And so we have to shift our heads. We've got to go to that place of going, just a second, what I'm believing about myself and about God, if he gives something to me, I've got to hoard it. That is a destructive thought in the kingdom. What I need to do is I need to go, God, would you, would you help me to be so obedient to you that I can actually receive 
and, and gain the blessing and the benefit of that whilst I release it into the lives of others. May I be trustworthy towards you and what you want to give to me in such measure that it continually flows through me and therefore expands me on the way through. I love the fact that God's overflow is so beautifully described in Psalm 23. But I certainly do not want to be a stagnant pool of water. It stinks. If you've ever been near a stagnant pool of water, you know what I'm talking about. Filthy and ugly, and you just kind of chuck it back, and it's just bad. Yes, and it's icky. You know what that's like. And if you don't, come with me to India. I'll, you know, we'll, we'll get you next to a stagnant pool or two for just a moment of your life, and you'll know that you'll never do that again. God wants overflow in your life. For us to release overflow in our lives, it's not just that God wants to bring it to us, God wants to bring it through us, that sense of overflow. It, we, we need to learn the principles of God in that regard. Overflow develops as we live obediently to God's will, His word, and His ways. And it begins with this context of obedience. It starts at our hearts. And Jesus speaks of the heart in many different contexts, in many different ways. But I want to pick up on one particular one this morning from Luke chapter 12, verse 34, where Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So it stands to reason that if we are to see overflow develop, then we have to master biblical principles surrounding our finances, where your treasure, that which you treasure the most, commonly around our finances, uh, we treasure our relationships, so we need to make sure that that's in a good place and all the rest of it, but treasure commonly talks about our money. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to just kind of open this up somewhat, but I also want to talk very testimonially from my own life because I've had to walk this journey and, and shift a huge amount over, over my life in terms of the way I've dealt with money. I love that David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Because I have to tell you that is a statement that I've had to come to grips with and accept the truth of in my life because I love to think of my lack. It was a poverty mindset that, that was, had developed in my life where I could fixate on those things I did not have easier than the things that I did have. And I, you know, the truth of it is, is we've all got a temptation in that regard. We can all see and compare ourselves with people who have more. It's like, and there's a lot of them, isn't there? Because we compare ourselves up most of the time to the person who has more in these kinds of things to give us a reason to withhold but what that does is that it continues to push us further into that notion of lack. What I've found is God's had to deal with me, sometimes relatively severely, sometimes with extraordinary generosity, that as I've shifted my heart and my head, it's amazing how God has moved me forward in this issue. Overflow begins in the area of our finances, and when we begin at the place of obedience, we actually begin to see God at work. There are a number of financial practices God instructs His people to follow to develop overflow. The beginning one is tithing. And this morning, I'm just going to do 
relatively quickly, just help us understand that principle. It's throughout God's Word, both Old and New Testament. Some people want to say, oh, it was an Old Testament deal. No, 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 it wasn't an Old Testament deal. It wasn't just a law thing. Abraham was tithing before the law had been given. You, you probably understand some of these things well. Jesus re- refers to it. You look through what Paul writes. There's clarity around the fact that giving and generosity matter. Tithing is returning to God the first 10% of our gross income by bringing it here to church week by week, month by month, whatever your schedule of pay is. Now, let me help you. The basis of tithing is in two really important things. The first thing is that everything belongs to God to begin with, which means that the tithe is returned to God. It's not given by us. I love people who say, I gave this, as if they had an ownership over it so that they could then release it. No, no, just a second. This is something that God has always owned anyway. So all we're doing is returning to God which, what He's already given to us. And the second thing is, every time you tithe, it's a work of faith. It's a work of faith that says, I declare that living off 90% of my income under God's blessing and under God's protection is a whole lot better than living off 100% without it. Because that's what happens when we decide that we are the owners of all our money and resources. If you really want to stay in control, good. And to be honest with you, good luck. Seriously, good luck to you. If you think you can do better with your money than you and God can do with your money, fabulous. I'll say very quickly after that statement is, you're wrong. That's really brutal, isn't it? You pastors, preachers shouldn't be quite that. I'm going to be brutal, maybe. But the truth of it is, is I have found over the years that this principle just works so, so amazingly. I know some people think it's sheer madness, but over 28 years of pastoral ministry, I've never seen somebody who's faithful and faith-filled in tithing in a place of lack, worse off. I've never seen it. I have never seen it. You see, the difference is that when we tithe, we're enacting the promises of God over our lives, and we're calling on God to get involved in our financial worlds. And, and, and let me be absolutely plain about it, the 100% that we've got, us managing, is not as good as the 90% after we've returned to God that first 10%. Because you see, overflow gets on the inside of us in that act of faith. It's the bedrock. Tithing is the bedrock of teaching of practical overflow and generosity. God says in Numbers chapter 18, verse 21, I give to the Levites all the tithes in Israel as their inheritance in return for the work they do while serving at the tent of meeting. It's one of the introductory verses around the whole notion of what tithing is. When Israel occupied the promised land, The tribes of Israel received land except for the tribe of Levi, which were to serve in worship. In a land-based economy like that of Israel, not receiving land meant they needed a different form of support. And as a result, the Levites were supported by the other Israelites through the tithe, the giving of the first 10% of the income of the other tribes, and that would that would help them do what they needed to do in worship. Leading in the temple worship and the tabernacle worship and gathering the tribes of Israel together. Nowadays, of course, we don't have the temple and the tabernacle and stuff like that. We get church and we're really, that's fabulous. I love church. I love it. So, so we bring our tithes here 
week by week, month by month, whether it's actually in the offering that was just received or whether it's online. Sue and I do it online every, every month when we get paid. Within a day, it's there in, in the church accounts. And, and that enables the worship of our church, the service of our church to continue. Now, I learned to tithe in my teens. I had my first job. It was one of those wonderful jobs that, that, that you get, you know. You mow lawns for one of the neighbors. And uh, I think I got the princely sum of 20 bucks for three hours work. And that was a king's ransom to me when I was 15. Let me assure you of that. And I began to tithe, not knowingly, unknowingly, because it was 20 bucks. So I kind of went, oh, well, I bet it, uh, two bucks seems so stingy to me at that point. So I put five bucks in the plate, you know, for church. Like, was, you know, it was just kind of, that was the easier note to, you know. And so I, I began that practice early on. And, and then I started to learn about the practice and got a little bit more knowledgeable and, and just have continued that all my life. And I've been in amazing situations in that frame over my life. I, I, uh, when I first went into ministry, I, I was in ministry on the Central Coast in, a, in a, uh, an outreach ministry with kids at risk on the street. I took a voluntary, uh, a voluntary poverty vow for the year that I was there just because it was one of those ministries which had no money. So, um, so I, I, I took that and I went, yep, that's okay, not a problem because God's my supplier anyway. I'd finished university with a mining engineering degree and been offered a job at or about $120,000 a year and we're talking over 30 years ago. All right? So when you do the maths and all those kinds of things, I don't want to know how much money I forego. All right? So I ended up, instead of getting $120,000 a year at that point in time, God spoke to me very clearly and he dealt with this issue of money, at least in part at that point in time in my life. And he said, I will always be your provider. And I go, you better be. Because I was on $100 a week instead of $120,000 a year. And the first 50 went in rent. So I had 50 bucks a week to live off, less than $10 a day to live off. At the end of the year, I'd saved enough money to go to Bible college the next year, which was worth about $1,500. Now, if you do the maths, that means 30 bucks a week I saved out of the 50. Don't do the maths because I've never worked it out. I know I'm an engineer. I know something about maths. It doesn't work. God's principles of tithing, God's principles of generosity work. God's principles of offerings work. But maths doesn't sometimes. I won't say that to my board at church because we do really clear budgets for church and the maths works there. But let me help you. You've got to walk by faith. And the 90% with God is better than 100% under my lordship every time. So that was learning in my very early 20s, about the age of 21. I'm, I'm going through that kind of thing and wondering... How is this ever going to work and work out and all those kinds of things? And, and I learned that tithing is a baseline. It's a floor, not a ceiling. It's the beginning of overflow because it is the obedience all of us who follow Jesus as Lord and Savior are called to. It's never about the amount. Never, ever about the amount. It's equal sacrifice, not equal giving. So that one person doesn't shoulder more than their fair share. 
And when you understand that is at the heart of the principle that by faith, everybody contributes in an equal manner, not because of the amount, but because of the level of sacrifice, what happens is the church rises and lifts to the calling that you've been called to. Perhaps the clearest passage is in Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12 with respect to tithing. If you've got a Bible, turn it up, Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12, uh, where the prophet says this, I, the Lord, do not change. That is a really important introductory phrase. I, the Lord, do not change. That means for yesterday, today, and forever kind of deal, like we're included in this. So you, the descendants of Jacob, he is writing to the Israelites at that point, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. That's a really, really straightforward, blunt, headbutt statement from God. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. That is not a good place for a church to be. Let's just accept the fact, it's not a good place. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed. For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. That is a very, very plain and clear passage of Scripture, in my view. Whenever someone comes to me for prayer in our church with a financial problem, my first and only question of them is this. It's a crucial question. Do you tithe? It's the only question I need to ask because it, it positions faith. That's what it does. I don't give a rip, as I said before, about amount. It, does, it just doesn't, it doesn't even, some pastors know what was given in the offering last weekend, the, like, you know, on the Monday after. I can't tell you what's been given in any of our offerings all year. Seriously. I don't, I don't, I don't work week by week. No businessman does. They work by trends. If you know anything about your business, if you're having to live week by week, let me tell you, you're a deck the slasher time already. But if you're living by trends, you know whether things are on the up or on the down and whether you, what kind of adjustments you need to make. And so you make strategic adjustments so that you do this in terms of your own personal finances as well. You look at them at the end of every quarter or every end of every month. I mean, we do our, I sit down with the credit card statements, end of every month, check everything off, and we make sure that we're on track. I've got a, a spreadsheet that covers this whole thing for me and for our family, and, and I know where we're at at any point in time. And so far this year, I'm underspent and Sue's overspent, so I'm a happy man. She will complain about that because there's a reasonable amount of my spending that comes under her budget. But, you know, you know what it's like. But it's one of those things. You, you, you work by that kind of frame. So I ask, do you tithe? If they say no, then I say I cannot pray for their financial situation. 
All right? I am a pastor, by the way. That is my primary gifting. Okay? So it's not that I lack compassion. It's that if they don't have faith yet in the area of their finances, I need to pray for something different. I need to pray for faith and obedience to rise in their hearts so that they will begin to honor God in the area of their finances. For some of you here this morning, this may be a little bit hard. You're going, oh, just a second. I'm not going to have that bloke up from Sydney again. Even if the Knights do win yesterday, I mean, that was a phenomenal game. I mean, you know, and clearly I brought that along with me as, you know, you don't think so? Okay, I don't think so either. But what I understand at that point in time is that, they don't, that there is a, there's a problem in the context of belief. And belief develops behaviours in people. And so what we've got to do is we've got to help people believe rightly so that the, the behaviours of the faith actually start being outworked. And so I know that at that point in time, I've got a pastoral job to do in terms of helping them understand what the Scriptures say and the importance of what the Scriptures say so that that financial release will occur in their lives. You know what? As we've watched family after family after family come into our church and be, be completely from an outside context, no context for Christ at any point in their world, and, and as they come to Christ and they start to learn about this thing about giving and all those kinds of things, they go, oh, well, yeah, better tip God, whatever's in the off, you know, in the, oh, no, just a second, we're going out to lunch afterwards, so um, better not that one. Uh, which one should I pick? Yes, yes, look, that purple one looks good. Oh, maybe the orange one today. I'll be really generous. Really generous. No, but never a green one. Never a green one. As they learn, it's amazing the freedom that comes into their worlds around their whole financial front. Because what happens is that God begins to get in on the inside of it and God says he'll rebuke the devourer. He'll make sure that, that, that the grapes on the vine, as, the, as, as Malachi says, actually set, which means that they get the harvest that they were designed to get. If the person says, yes, I tithe, then I call on the promises of God for them because I'll stand in the place of faith, in intercession and go to war with them over those situations that are robbing them of that which is rightfully theirs by God's word. So I, I, I pray over them and I declare over them what God says to them. I will throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I declare over them, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe. I declare over them, all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land because those things over a person's life are are demonstrated and God sees to it that they occur. They are God's promises over our finances if we are prepared to actually step up to the plate and go the way that he wants us to go. So much blessing, we can't contain it, is what the Bible tells us. The floodgates of heaven... I'll pour out so much that you will not have room enough for it. That is God's promise to us. And we either decide that it's true, and we're going to live in the midst of that promise, or we decide no. Now, that's where this law of reaping comes in as well. Okay? Because sometimes we go, yes, I believe God's word is true in an intellectual sense, but not in an experiential sense. But if you read God's word right throughout God's word, when you see that word that they'll know God, that means to experience God. It does not mean that they'll have an understanding intellectually. They will get an understanding intellectually of God. But how could we ever fully know God with our puny little brains? 
Seriously. But what we do is we get to experience God. So to know God is to experience God. To know God is to experience His promises. Now, only a few years ago, I was asked by uh, one of my brothers. He lives in Melbourne. And he said, Richard, I want you to find some coaches for us. We're going to bring the coaching company that he was a director of up to Sydney. I said, fabulous, let's do that. I'll find a few people. So their head coach from Melbourne came up and I spent an hour with him and we're just doing the chit-chat thing. I'm getting a little bit bored because I've never met the guy before in my life. I figured I'd never see him again in my life either. So, you know, you know and I had another meeting to go to. So I'm like, I don't want to keep doing this. So at the hour long, I'm thinking, I've got to be out of here at an hour and 20, no matter what. I've got five people I need to present. That's three minutes per person. I've got to motor here. So I present all five people to him, the coaches that I thought would be appropriate for them. The end of that 15 minutes, he said, I don't want any of them. I went, oh, just spent a whole lot of time doing all of this work, and this is really frustrating. What is going on here? He said, I want you. And I went, no, you don't. I'm a very busy man, I'm doing a master's, I lead a church with a, a lot of people in it, I, I, I'm, I, 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 there you go, here we go, Tim, run, 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 here we go, oh, same but different, same, same but different, anyway, so, uh, well, uh, so he goes, I want you, I go, no, you don't, I'm too busy, I'm far too busy, and I, anyway, he said, you go away and think about it, for you, you could probably pray. Uh, he was not a believer, but he knew what I did. So I said, oh, I can do that for you. Not a problem, buddy. So I, I go, I'm praying. You know, and we meet two months later or something silly like that. And I'm going, God, this is nuts. I do not want to do this. I do not want to do this. But if it's you, make it plain. So I put a figure in my head. I said, he's got he's to he's be there. If he's anything less than that, kidding. Tell him he's dreaming. <clears throat> so we have the conversation, halfway into the conversation, he says, okay, Richard, so are you up or not? I said, well, you know, and I'm hedging my bets. He said, look, we're going to pay you this amount of money. It was three times my figure. Now, I don't say that because I'm anything special. I'm not at all. If you know me at all, Keith and Janet can attest to this, I'm not special. But God was teaching me something about the law of reaping. I've sown all my life. We have seen an extraordinary blessing. We have never lacked for anything. The promise of Psalm 23 is true. I can stand here and tell you, but then what happened was God. And, and part of this is about the fact that God can trust us to be people who bless. Because that's what we're meant to do. The Apostle Paul brings further clarity into this issue really clearly in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'll be quick in this. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 14, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, I don't like the word all, but I'll accept it's God's word and therefore conform myself to God's word. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That is the point of the blessing financially over your life. 
It is not for you. It's not for your need. It's not for your greed. It is that you would be the blessing that God calls you to be. And over the years, this church has been an extraordinarily faith-filled blessing church. I love what you do with CAP. We love so much what you did with CAP, we decided to get on board because of the example of your church. Okay? There are a lot of churches who follow the example of this church in that notion of the blessing. I'm only preaching to the converted in one sense here, but I'm reminding you also for some of you, and I'm, I'm beginning some of you on a journey as well. Paul goes on and says, it's written that they have scattered abroad their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower, God gives it to you. And bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness as a result. That's what, that comes about as a result of our giving, righteousness. And you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Paul was calling them to an offering so that they could actually do something different for, for a group of people over in Jerusalem who were in famine right now. And he knew that that offering would cause thanksgiving to result. That's what happens when you give. That's what happens when you give. People rise up in thanksgiving. They start to see God for who He truly is. Because they expect Christians to be stingy. Because they think God's stingy. And when we operate in the opposite spirit of generosity and of overflow, where, where we allow the overflow of God that comes to us to flow through us into the lives of other people, people see God for who He really is. That's the point of this whole financial thing. It isn't about us. Oh, we get some benefit through it along the way. But let me help you. A guy called John Wesley died with basically nothing except some coins in his pocket and some coins on his, his dressing table. But he'd given 39,000 pounds away in the 1800s. Extraordinary life of generosity. And when asked by the tax office who did an audit of him, and said, you must have a whole lot more. He said, no, 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 no. I have two silver plate uh, spoons in, in this house and two silver plate spoons, I think with one of his relatives or something like that, where he took some, you know, took some time to relax at times. And he said, that's about all the silver I have. Why? Because he knew he was meant to be a blessing to people. That that which God flowed to him was to flow through him. He lived an extraordinary life and each one of you are called also to be a blessing. And in that blessing, you will be blessed without question. This is such a rich passage. It's a powerful passage, a passage that is so important. I love that our giving is God's way of providing us sufficient money for our needs. That's true. I love that truth. But I love this is not a guarantee of getting rich as well. It's a guarantee of an abundance for every good work. That's what God says. So where is overflow at work in your life? And where is overflow at work in your life financially? Are you somebody who's got to learn the law of sowing? And today you need to make a deep decision, a commitment to Christ, which says, I'm going to, be, I'm going to begin this tithe thing. Remembering what Malachi says, test me now in this. The only place in God's word that says that take that step of faith, let me assure you, you will find God faithful. Not because Botta says it. Who gives a rip what Botta says? I'll tell you why. Because God says it. 
that's all you need to rely on. Maybe you're here today and you haven't got this law of reaping working properly in your world yet. Then let me tell you, you need to make a deep decision in your life to say, God, I, I need to actually step up by faith. You know, one of the things that kept me back from walking into that issue of reaping was a false sense of piety, a false humility. I felt, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't need that from God. What I failed to realize is the scripture says that faithfulness in little things leads to faithfulness in much. And if I'm truly trustworthy with my finances, then God wants to trust me with more. Not for me, but for the kingdom's sake. Because there is a lost generation of people, a lost generation of people in our nation and in the nations of the earth. And some of that takes money to activate. Great churches being planted. Great churches doing the work of the gospel in things like CAP, in whatever context of ministry, whether it's a scripture in schools, wherever it may be, there is a point at which money is needed. And we might think, oh, that's kind of like, you know, doesn't the Bible say, you know, don't mix God and mammon? Absolutely. I'm not talking about getting caught with the God which is called mammon. I'm saying get caught with the God who is almighty and let him be almighty over your finances. Where are you going with your financial work? Now, I'm the guest preacher. I get to walk away. Where are you going with your finances? Will this church continue to be the Lighthouse Church? has caused extraordinary breakthrough in this city region, our nation. Because you allow blessing to flow to and through you in every realm, including finances. Will you step up and step into what God has called you to be as a church? Which means each individual playing their part, equal sacrifice, not equal giving. And watching the Lord come. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you that this morning, Lord God, it's a holy moment. And you open up our hearts in the area of our finances. And we know that Jesus says where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We know that this is a matter of our hearts, Lord God. And some of us, Lord God, find this difficult, but we want to hear your word above everything else that clouds our minds and our hearts in this issue. Lord God, speak to us. And where we need to step up in the, in the area of sowing, Lord God, where we need to begin to tithe, may we take you at your word. May we test you now in this as Malachi encourages us to do. And may we give and may we begin to give, Lord God, that that breakthrough in our lives would occur. And Father, for those of us who are faithful in that, Lord God, may we increase in our faithfulness, Lord God, because faithfulness in little leads to faithfulness in much. And as a result, Lord God, we, we no longer sow sparingly. We sow generously with overflow. And see your overflow not only in us, Lord God, but through us, making a difference to the, this city of our incredible nation. Whether it's in the Northwest, Lord God, or here, 
victory, Lord God. We pray, Father, that there would be overflow in our finances. And that the law of reaping would be strong within every one of us. Father, I ask that for each one of us, Lord God, we would take you at your word. And you'd cause the breakthrough to occur over our lives that needs to occur. 